Welcome to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFD News and Views and follow us at, at the Fintech Times. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. It always feels weird when I hear myself introducing the podcast. It just doesn't really feel right, but that's because we don't have Polly here today. She's unfortunately not feeling very well, so it's just myself, Francis, and Tom here today. So, Tom, how are you? I'm great. It's good to be back. I was uh, absent last week on holiday, so we've got another uh, troublesome twosome in uh, in this week's podcast. So I'm looking forward to a bit of chaos once again. We do indeed. We do indeed. But, I mean, it, it should be an interesting talk. We've got some good topics of conversation today. What are you bringing to the table? Today, I'm talking about a business coalition which is urging the UK government to speed up its smart data reforms. Very nice, very nice. And today, I'm going to be talking about MasterCard's recent announcement in the US and how it's banned the use of debit cards to complete cannabis purchases. So, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, happily. I feel like we've got a bit of a government and US Congress legislation special today, so should be uh, should be an exciting one. But to start off... The Business Coalition um, is led by John Pemrose, MP, and essentially the coalition is urging the government to speed up its smart data reforms, which it says is going to make British exporters more competitive, it's going to stimulate investment in UK digital jobs, and it's going to help deliver better deals for consumers to help them cut the cost um, during rises in cost of living. So to... Give a quick overview what smart data basically does is enables consumers to safely share their data like from their online groceries energy or bank accounts with other rival firms to see if they can offer a better deal uh, as we know in 2016 the competition and markets authority mandated the uk's nine largest current account providers to enable their customers to safely and securely share their banking data which led to over 7 million regular users of open banking services. So while the data protection and digital information bill includes provisions to introduce smart data reforms already, these provisions contain no guarantees or timetable on how fast the changes are going to be introduced in each business sector once they become law. So what the problem is currently is that the coalition is worried that the UK could fall behind in this respect to other world regions, which are quickly catching up. You know, the UK is obviously seen as such a a bit of a trailblazer in, in terms of open banking and open banking services. But regarding other areas like energy, like online groceries, it's just a case of can the UK stay ahead in these respects? And if it continues, sorry, at its current pace, is surely going to fall behind other regions. So the coalition contains quite a few reputable names, including NatWest, um, the Payments Association, Open Banking Excellence, as well as uh, a couple of fintechs such as Ozone API and Icebreaker One. And I thought this is just an interesting example of how sometimes it's obvious what routes need to be taken to make serious change and to better the economy, better the lives of consumers in the UK and beyond. But sometimes just change doesn't happen quick enough. Uh, and I thought this was a, a good example of how, you know, a coalition with a lot of reputable people, companies, names, 
uh, MPs are coming together to try and push the UK government to enact change a lot quicker. And considering we've already had such a success story in the likes of open banking, obviously there's a bit of debate about whether it should be a bigger perhaps by now and have more users. I think it's, it's interesting to see that we're still not necessarily taking initiative, you know, in terms of the government in introducing these kind of these legislations and, and speeding things up when we're trying to be such an innovative region in terms of tech. So I guess I just wanted to get your take on, you know, how can the government be improving its practices and how much of an impact could the likes of these kinds of legislations have on consumers and businesses in the UK? I think options are never really a bad thing. And by rolling out open banking technology to the rest of the, to the economy, you're really bringing a lot of industries into the modern digital age. And you touched on an interesting point when it comes to usage. And I suppose I, I look at myself really and how much I use open banking now to make purchases. And the reality is I don't think I've really used it at all, maybe once or twice, but for the most part, I don't. So, I mean, obviously I've got to look at myself because that is, you know, who I, who I see using it. But I don't really see this changing either, even if the tech is expanded to, you know, other parts. But who knows? I could be wrong and it could be super convenient. But I think regardless, like I mentioned, choice is always a good thing. So as the government and I suppose the as the just the country wants to stay ahead and stay competitive and continue to be sort of a, a figurehead in in the in the open technology, if you will. I think it's definitely something that should be considered. Yeah, absolutely. I think you bring up a, an interesting point in terms of usage. You know, as I said, there is a bit of debate on whether there should be more users in terms of this technology and, and how could we have utilized it even better. I think we've had a good starting point, but there is definitely an argument to be made that there's areas in terms of open banking, especially that haven't been utilized as well as they could have been. And, and I agree with you, actually, I, I'm similar. Like I've, I've definitely trialed a few like third party apps in terms of my banking and things, but I haven't actually engaged with something consistently. And it's more something I've just dipped into. Let's see how this app works. But not really for me. I never use it again. Um, but I think there's definitely areas like I said, like energy, especially and, and uh, groceries and you know, sh online shopping, things like that, where this kind of technology could actually play a bigger part and encourage more users than open banking. I think generally people are in the UK, at least in my experience, you know, the people I know and the people around me is people are quite happy with just keeping their money in, in one bank account, they have one bank account, one savings account works for them. They're not having any problems with it. What's the need to engage with these apps? where they're not necessarily seeing what that can bring them. Um, and I'm exactly the same. I'm, I'm guilty for the same kind of viewpoint most of the time in my day-to-day -day life. But in areas like energy and and just buying things online, I think there could be a a much larger space there in terms of people's attitude. You know, everyone knows how much these kind of prices for everything are increasing people's bills. We, you know, hearing new data from which you know, millions of people are missing out on payments on crucial bills, uh, energy bills, things like that. And I think there's perhaps an even bigger space in the current cost of living crisis um, and economic landscape we've got in the UK for maybe these types of reforms to, to thrive even more so than open banking has. So obviously it's yet to be seen. We'll have to wait for the, the government to kind of mandate these areas of technology. But 
I just thought it is odd to me how we're in this kind of landscape, but less not enough perhaps is being done to try and bring in these legislations and rules and technologies that could actually have a massive impact potentially. I mean, as, as I said, it's yet to be seen, but that could have a big impact on people's day-to-day lives and, and support them during the cost of living crisis. So I guess we'll just see how, how things go. I think you're right in the sense of the impact it could really have on like energy savings as well. But I'm not sure if it's changed, but I remember because of the cost of living crisis and because of everything that was happening, I remember when I moved house and we were looking to set up our energy provider and stuff like that. I remember every single one was at the max that it could be. So until I think the cost of living crisis sort of starts to subside and they can start or different organizations or providers, I should say, can start offering better deals and and stuff like that. I mean, this is very specific to energy, but I just think this is where it really does have an opportunity to to really shine. And I think until the cost of living crisis really starts to subside, I don't think we'll really see the full extent of how useful it can be. And I think it's almost like suggesting we're going to live in this perfect world by having this open technology, which is always the case in theory. It sounds great. And I'm sure that was the case with open banking, right? When it it first was announced is in theory, it sounds great. You've got this technology that connects everything. It's going to make life simple, but I can't help but feel it might be sort of just out of our grasp, if you know what I mean. It's just a bit too good to be true almost. It's almost too simple. It's it's never going to be that simple. I mean, it's me on the podcast. I'm going to be pessimistic. I'm always going to be looking on perhaps not the, the bright side of things, but I think that's definitely sort of a, a side we have to consider. No, absolutely. And as I said, we it's tough to see the impact that someone can have until it's in place. I think maybe one of the reasons that we don't have faster legislation in this case is that it's not a guarantee to be a success so i think while it's very easy to look at it and and i still think you know this is something that could have a big impact it's easy to as you say see the other side of the coin where actually it might not have as much of an impact as you expect it to have and in the same way that open banking was expected to make huge changes in terms of this the banking space and how people interact with their finances but in reality, the majority of people aren't engaging with it at all. So, yeah, I think in in theory, it seems like a good idea. But in practice, it just has to we just have to wait and see what happens with them, really. Yeah, I definitely think a wait and see approach is, is the one here. But yeah, no, I think this is a, it's a great topic and one to, to keep an eye on. But I guess my article now. So as I mentioned, MasterCard made a pretty big new splash in the in the financial world when it announced just a few days before the end of July that it would be banning the sales of cannabis using its debit cards across the country. So I feel like the marijuana market is a bit of a tricky one given the stigma attached to it and the fact it's still illegal in 12 states in America. Although I do think it is worth mentioning that the states in which it's either fully legal or legal for medical use outnumber the states in which it's illegal. Make of that information what you will, but I thought it was just worth just putting it out there. But anyway, The federal government still regards cannabis as an illegal drug. So in line with the government's views, MasterCard has made its announcement. And I think the talking point of my article wasn't really surrounding the reasoning for MasterCard's move because it is pretty straightforward. And I believe one of the experts summed it up pretty well. And it's it's not a case of preference, but a case of compliance. So the government views it as illegal. Therefore, the payment processor also does. The talking point of my article was more 
what opportunity this creates for fintechs. And we know that fintechs target parts of the market that are often excluded from traditional finance. And I think the cannabis market really does fit that bill perfectly, right? The use of crypto, open banking, and other payment workarounds, I suppose, mean that the US market, or cannabis market, I should say, which is worth or was worth $13.2 billion in 2022, can continue to grow using digital payments. And personally, I think digital payments are a must. This, again, could just be me. But weirdly, I think the use of cash kind of adds to the stigma of payments being harder to trace. And maybe it's just because of shows that I've seen, like Line of Duty, where you see criminals counting copious amounts of cash. But I think fraud and, I guess, drug laundering usually has an image of cash associated with it. And as the legal market looks to break this stigma, I think it needs access to digital payments. And ultimately, it does play a big part in the country's economy, because in the article, uh, Curalief's CEO notes that it generated more than $3.7 billion in state tax in 2022. So in that regard, I suppose I'd regard MasterCard's move as a little bit recessive almost. But I did think it was interesting that one of the experts suggested that this move may have been done to spark a fire under the market's constituents to try and drive change at the federal level, which, again, that opens up a completely different can of worms. But I wanted to hear your thoughts, really. Do you think fintechs can step up here or is it a case of things need to change federally before we see any change in the market? Yeah, the unexpected thing that stood out to me first and foremost when I read your article on the story was that it's not MasterCard banning customers from buying cannabis from dispensaries because in theory that was already the case like as you said it's illegal at a federal level in the uk so it's really just a case of mastercard cracking down on the rule and therefore the crux of this story which is centered around cannabis is just like another compliance story in disguise um and the real problem is sort of the lack of clarity between the us federal rules and all of the states where people are allowed to buy it from licensed vendors um, such as dispensaries. Um, and I thought uh, one of the comments um, from Brian Sinclair, who worked for the payment risk firm G2, he summed it up quite nicely. And it's the legality, he said, the legality of cannabis has become a murky gray area for payment acquirers. There is an opportunity for the US federal government to provide greater clarity around the rules and regulations for cannabis transactions. And as you said, rather than damaging the growth of the cannabis market, it could actually have the opposite effect by bringing more publicity to these gray areas and forcing Congress to approach this head on and maybe make it easier for MasterCard, Visa and likewise to engage in the market. So I guess to come full circle and answer your question on if this provides an opportunity to fintechs, my answer is maybe. Like the reality is that an opportunity in this space like has existed for a long time now. Like this has been the case. It's not a new rule that MasterCard have brought in. They're banning these sales um, using its debit cards. There's been the rule the entire time because people haven't necessarily been following the rules um, as they should. Um, but no fintechs or payment providers have really come in to dominate the space. Um, and I guess because of the federal rules, that makes it really difficult. So I think we have to wait for federal change to occur first before this space can develop in terms of payments. Uh, and as we know, it can take a really long time to enact serious change in relation, especially to controversial topics like cannabis. Things take a long time to, to go through Congress and actually become genuine le legislation and change leg legislation, which I'm really struggling to say for some reason right now. Um, <laughs> but 
it's it's an interesting space but i think in this case almost similar to my story at the start of the podcast is that the key issues are actually around waiting for government or congress to enact change in order for the space to enable fintechs and third parties to engage with it and actually make genuine change so i think you you summed that really nicely in the article and it's just a case of this seems like it's going to enact the the fire that starts everything off and gets congress talking about it and maybe changing it but until that change actually takes place i don't really see there being a, a serious opportunity for fintechs uh, or payment providers or anyone in the space to seriously enact with it this feels really weird that i'm about to be like the the, the positive one and being like <laughs> no i think it actually does create maybe polly's right maybe i just go against whatever both of you guys say i think so perhaps perhaps but i think well maybe i do agree with you to a certain extent i think when you think about crypto accessibility and open banking usage i mean your article i mean it it works perfectly that we just discussed it we spoke about the usage levels and how it isn't really that high and i especially in the u.s i mean the u.s i believe is is sort of developing its its use of open banking and i think when customers i think the easiest way to look at it is from other topics that we've discussed before like cart abandonment and it's when customers don't have their payment preferences they sort of turn away and go uh, maybe it's not worth it i don't really want to do this and i think if you're not going to have the simple accessibility of using global well-known large-scale payment processes which you'd use for your day-to-day shopping i think you would be more inclined to turn away from a service like a vendor from the cannabis market purely because of its inconvenience. And I think although there is an option for crypto firms and open banking technology and other, like as as was mentioned by NextPay in the article, other payment workarounds, the uptake to really see it happen, I think will only be really done by the, the diehard fans, if you will, rather than sort of the everyday consumer, purely because if it's not at your fingertips, you might not really feel the need to do it. And I think ultimately you are right. I think the move does, it is going to spark a change or a a talk at least at at Congress at a federal level. But I think think the talk in a weird way, like you said, fintechs have had this opportunity to to fill the, the gap in the market for ages. But I think now that it's really been brought to light, I think some might try and take advantage of it a bit more than they previously, excuse me, previously had done. So, regardless, I think in a in sort of a a weird way, both articles are going to end with a, a wait and see. I don't think we can really sort of give a definitive answer yet until change happens. But I think it's definitely a market to to keep an eye on, especially as the article highlights. It really is an up and coming one. No, absolutely. And I think, uh, as you said, it's almost like classic style for us. We're just gonna we're gonna leave it there put the topic out there. We're not going to give you a definitive answer because there isn't one in most cases. And uh, it's just be a really interesting space to keep an eye on, especially because it's worth so much to the US. I think, as you said, it's about 40 billion value potentially by 2030. And it's such a serious market for the US that you would expect them to see at least taking some kind of change seriously because of the, the value and the potential value of the space. 
Um, and because of the, the sort of regularity gray areas, there is a lot of space to be capitalized on. So yeah, it will really be interesting to see over the next few years, I suppose, how much change is enacted in, in these areas. Just because you brought that figure up, actually, I think it's interesting to note that the global market is worth around 50 billion. So that's a fifth of the global market's value in just a singular country currently being worth as it was 13 million or uh, 13 billion i should say so i definitely think it will be it will be a hit initially to the market but i think i don't know how but i think it will recover some way but anyway if anyone wants to read any more about the articles we spoke about today head on over to the fintechtimes.com where you can read plenty more news and insights over there so being on the fintech times editorial team we see loads of news pass our desks every day so each week, we like to share something we've learned with our listeners in the aptly named What I Learned This Week. So Tom, what do you want to share? So at the time of recording, um, we've just found out that the Bank of England is raising interest rates uh, to 5.25%, which is a 0.25% increase. Uh, and it's the 14th consecutive increase uh, that the Bank of England has introduced. When will it end? When will it end? Yeah, very interesting. So what I learned this week is a bit of a rogue one, but in an article I was writing about Turkey and the president's golf tour, I learned about a tense history between Saudi Arabia and Turkey in which a Saudi journalist was killed in the kingdom's Istanbul consulate. So I learned that this week the agreements that were made were just another step in mending relations, which I thought was quite cool. But yeah, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thanks for joining me, Tom. It's been a great chat and hopefully Polly feels better and is with us next week. Thank you to our listeners too, and we'll see you next time. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Fintech Times News and Views podcast. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times.